morning, everyone. Hello, all of you. My name is Ryan. Uh, for those that are new or visiting, I am the pastor here. It's uh, great to have everyone here today. Today we are wrapping up our time in the uh, book of James. We are in the final passage that we'll be looking at in chapter 5, verses 7 through 20. So if you brought your Bibles, go ahead and get those out and make your way there toward the end of James. James chapter 5, 7 through 20 is where it will be now. Um, I don't know about you, but this has been an incredible journey, I think, through this really powerful and at times like a little prickly, right, and provocative letter. I'm so grateful for uh, Scott's message last week on the importance of having open hands with our plans and being generous with our resources and our time and our talents. Can we just thank Scott for that um, right now. So blessed by that. Um, so grateful for that. You know, over the last nine weeks, here's, here's what we've been going through. We have been challenged week after week by James to go after a faith that works, a faith of substance, not in words only, but a faith uh, that, that doesn't just show up on Sundays but a faith that is woven through the ebb and flow of everyday life that shows up in difficult situations, a faith that shows up in need, a faith that shows up in each and every one of our relationships. We have been pressed for these last nine weeks to go after a faith that works. And as James wraps up this letter in this final passage we're looking at today, it's going to seem like he's just like rapid firing thing after thing after thing. And that's sort of true because he's kind of finishing this letter. And I don't know if he was like running out of like papyrus or something like that. But, but like he's kind of getting all this stuff in there at the very end. But just to simplify it, James, James has like two big things really though. Two big things that he's trying to get across at the end of his letter, and they're these two things. That we would practice patience in suffering, and that we would prioritize prayer in all situations. As James encourages us and sends his readers and sends us out to go after a faith that works, that shows up in everyday life, these are the two things that he is sending us out with this morning. That we would practice patience in suffering, and that we would prioritize prayer in all situations. So let's look a little more deeply at that first idea there, the idea that we would practice patience in suffering. And so look with me at verse seven here in chapter five. James writes this. He says, so be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's return. Think of how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the ground and is patient for it until it receives the early and late rains. I just want to ask all of you this. How many of you just like love being patient? How many of you love, how many of you when someone, when someone asks you to do something, you're just like hoping and praying. You're like, please ask me to wait. Please, please, please have me be patient and just, and, and, and just like wait for whatever it is. Anyone here like that? Anyone here? No, you're crazy. You're, you're, uh, a lunatic. Listen, being patient is the worst. Being patient is the worst, especially, especially when we're going through like a difficult situation. When we're going through a hard time. When, when someone has hurt us, when someone has wronged us, there are a lot of things that we want to do in those situations and being patient is not one of them. It isn't. Because being patient is kind of the worst. I remember being a kid, and one of the great hardships that I had to endure as a kid was waiting for my gifts for Christmas, right? 
the, the absolute worst. You know, you, you, you write your list, you give it to Santa or mom or dad or whoever, and they take that list. And in my house, my mom would buy those gifts, she would wrap them up, and then she would put them in what we had in our house. It was called the locked up closet. Now, that sounds a little ominous, I understand, but all the locked up closet was, was this door in this closet in our laundry room with like a broken handle, okay? That's what the locked up closet was. And, and we as kids were absolutely prohibited from going in that room in the weeks leading up to Christmas. It was off limits, but, but you see, I, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't stand it anymore. And so one day, While my mom was off busy doing something else, I snuck down into the laundry room and into the locked up closet. I broke my way in there at like seven years old, guilty of breaking and entering. My life of crime began and I went in there and I found the presents and I found one that said to Ryan and I sneakily just kind of tore a little bit of the present open to see what I got, and lo and behold, it was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles action figure that I had asked for, and I was thrilled, and I was excited, but do you know what that did to me in the weeks leading up to Christmas? It made it so much worse, because not only did I have to still wait for that gift, I, I... I knew what I was getting. It it robbed me of the joy of Christmas morning because I knew it was there and I had this guilt on me all because I wasn't patient because being patient, listen, being patient is so hard. It's the worst. And now James gives us an example of someone who's patient here, not a kid waiting for Christmas, but, but he says here, the farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the ground. Right now, farmers in our area, they're, they're, they're prepping their fields, they're, they're planting, they are fertilizing. You can come up to Snohomish where I live, you can smell it, it is pungent. And, and over the next few months, they will water the ground and they will wait for the rain and they will wait and they will wait and they will be patient. And you see what James is saying here is that if we want like a real tangible faith that doesn't just show up when we spend our hour here on Sunday mornings, but a faith that is robust and real and resilient day after day after day, a faith that is resilient through hard times, through difficult seasons, when people wrong us, when we're going through the worst imaginable circumstances. James says here that we are called to wait. We're called to practice patience in suffering. And he reiterates this in verse eight. He writes, you also, Be patient and strengthen your hearts for the Lord's return is near. And so he's saying, just like the farmer who waits for the rain for his crops, who waits for that rain so that his crops will grow and and flourish, we are called to be patient in the midst of our hardships in the midst of our suffering. And James, James kind of begins to crack the door open here a little bit on the why. And he says, wait, be patient, strengthen your hearts. And he says here, why? Because the Lord's return is near. The Lord's, re- now we'll get to that in just a minute because first what I want to get to though is I want to get to other things that we want to do instead of being patient, okay? Because that's where James goes here in verse nine. Look there. James says this, do not grumble. I'll let that sit for a second. 
Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be judged. See, the judge stands before the gates. And so not only are we called to practice patience in the midst of suffering, we are also called not to grumble. We are called not to complain. But let's be real here for a moment. Can we just be real? Is that okay? Can we just be real here for just a moment? Isn't like grumbling and complaining in the face of hardship like one of the, the best things to do? Isn't that one of our favorite things to do? Like after, after a really hard day and after a difficult thing at work or something like that, don't we just love to come home and complain about that coworker, about that friend, about that parent, about that spouse, and just kind of give grievance, air grievances about that person? I mean, wasn't there a whole Seinfeld episode about the airing of grievances? I mean, that's like a, that's like a thing we love to do. But James says here, when, su- when you suffer, when you suffer, don't complain. When you suffer, don't complain. The Greek word here for complain is this word stenazo. And this word can mean grumble, it can mean groan, expressing grief, expressing anger, expressing desire. Now, we commonly use the word vent. That's kind of our word that we use today. We like to vent about things. We vent about that spouse. We vent about our boss. We vent about that coworker. We complain. But right here, Scripture says, don't do that. Don't do it. And not only don't grumble with one another, don't grumble against one another. And so like when, when, when you're in that small group with that person that talks too much, don't complain about that person. When you're with that person and serving in Arbor Kids, don't grumble against that person. When your pastor says something stupid, don't grumble against him, right? Don't complain. He's just a human. He's just a human. But something about it feels so good. Complaining, venting, and why? Because in that moment, when we take matters into our own hands, we feel heard. We feel seen. We feel vindicated. And yet James here just clearly says, when you're going through hardship, when you're going through difficulty, don't complain, don't grumble, don't vent, be patient. And not just that, when we are suffering, don't get even. Don't get even. When our reputation is dragged through the mud, when someone says something nasty about you behind your back, when we feel like we've been wrongly ignored or passed over, don't, don't get even. Now listen, James doesn't say that here in this passage, but Paul, writing to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 19, he writes this. He says, do not avenge yourselves, dear friends. Don't avenge yourselves, but give place to God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now listen, Paul has like the same matter in mind here that James does, enduring hardship, enduring injustice, suffering, but he, but he attacks a slightly different problematic response that we have in the face of injustice, in the face of hardship, and that's when we want to take matters into our own hand. That's when we want to get, ve- that's when we want to get even and take vengeance on that person. Now, Many of us, we, we, like, we celebrate and we love the grace of God, right? Like we love God's grace. And we're like, we're like man, I, just, I, I love how gracious God is to me. 
I'm, I'm, such a, I'm such a mess up sometimes and I make mistakes, but God is so gracious and we talk about it and we quote scripture and we sing about it, but we are so quick to go Old Testament on people when they wrong us, right? We're like, yeah, but the Bible also says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Like, where's my pound of flesh? Don't get even. And listen, here's the thing. We, we justify ourselves when we get even, saying like, I, I, like, someone needs to correct this. Justice needs to prevail, when in reality, so often, all we're trying to do is vindicate ourselves. We're trying to vindicate ourselves, our honor, our glory has been tarnished, and we just simply can't stand it anymore. We can't deal with it. So we take matters into our own hands and we get even. Like the other day I was talking about this with some friends. And naturally in this kind of conversation, uh, the, the story of Jesus flipping tables in the temple comes up. People think of that. And they're like, listen, like Jesus did it. Like Jesus, Jesus went and he, he, you know, he flipped those tables and so there's, there's gotta be instances in my life where it's okay to flip some tables, right? Like where, where's my opportunity? But, but here's the thing about when Jesus flipped those tables. Um, um, he wasn't flipping those tables for his own name's sake. He was flipping those tables for his father's honor, for his father's glory. And so when, when the thought crosses our mind, maybe it's time for me to take matters into my own hand. Maybe it's time for me to get even in the midst of this difficult circumstance. Ask yourself this question, whose honor are you defending? Is, is it your own? Or, or is it someone else's? Or, or better yet, is it, is it God's? Because if it's your own, listen, there is plenty of counsel here in Scripture to encourage us toward being patient. It's not easy. This is what God's word calls us to as his people, as citizens of a new and better and different kingdom. He calls us to be patient. He calls us to wait. Now, now you might say, though, you might say, but you don't get my situation. You don't understand it. Like, this isn't just like a one-time offense on a Tuesday afternoon where I can just let it go and let it slide. This thing keeps happening. Like, like this has been going on for months, this has been going on for years. And so when, when there's got to be some moment, some time where I can finally like take action. When can I move from patience to action? Anyone wondering that right now? You're wondering that? Look at verse 10. Let's see what James says. James says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the Lord's name. Think of how we regard as blessed those who have endured. And you've heard of Job's endurance and you have heard of, and you have seen the Lord's purpose that the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And so how patient should we be? Really patient. Like really, really patient. James points to the perseverance and to the endurance of the prophets, the prophets in the Old Testament. And these were folks who their job was to like declare God's message and they did this faithfully in the face of great opposition and great persecution. And how are they remembered for their vengeance? No, no, how are they remembered for their grumbling and complaint? No, no, how are they remembered for their patient endurance? They're remembered as blessed, as honored, 
as favored by God. And James just doesn't keep it to this small select group of these prophets in the Old Testament. He broadens it to, to, to this group of people, to all of those who have endured. And that's why he includes Job here, because Job wasn't a prophet. Job endured great suffering. At the very beginning of Job, in, in chapter one, verse one, it describes who Job is. It says he was blameless. He was upright. He was God-fearing. He was turning away from all evil. Like if, if, if a book in the Bible was written about you, would those be the first four things that would describe you? They wouldn't describe me, I'm telling you that. They, they wouldn't, dis- but, but the Job, that's who Job was. And, and, and yet his life was wrung through the ringer. Anything bad that could happen did happen to Job. And yet, he patiently endured. He waited. He waited. And again, you, you might hear all of that, and you might say, that's really cool to hear that like these people in the Bible, like these prophets and this guy Job patiently endured this whole time, but they're in the Bible probably for a reason, okay? Like he's gotta be some special people. I, I'm just a regular person going through a hard situation, and I'm gonna make some mistakes sometimes, and, and being patient's really hard. Just understand this. That the idea of practicing patience in the midst of suffering doesn't mean that you'll walk around with this peaceful, contemplative, like monk-like disposition with like this soft smile, like everywhere you go, to like seemingly unaffected by your circumstances. God's word isn't asking that from you here. It's not demanding that from you. I'm not, the church isn't, James doesn't, God doesn't demand that of you. Take a trip through the Psalms. Take a trip through the Psalms and witness, acquaint yourselves deeply with with David as he agonized and as he encountered hardship and as he turned that hardship into beautiful poetry, psalm after psalm after psalm, as he wrestled with God's purposes in his life, as he underwent such deep tragedy and hardship, unjust tragedy, tragedy and hardship. Like, like think about Jesus. Think about Jesus who, who in the middle of the garden of Gethsemane cried out to God, wrestling with his father in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his suffering, saying, Father, if it is your will, would you have this cup pass from me? I mean, the gospels say that he was sweating blood in that garden. Listen, in, in, our, in our patient waiting in the midst of hardship, in suffering, there's going to be agonizing. There's going to be wrestling. It's going to feel like really, really messy as we're wrestling with our circumstances. But listen, hear this, hear this. If our vision is fixed on our circumstances instead of our savior, it's gonna be almost impossible for us to be patient. If our eyes are fixed on our circumstances and the pain and and the hardship and and we don't turn them to to our God in heaven, it's gonna be almost impossible to wait. It's gonna be almost impossible to endure the suffering we endure here on this side of eternity. You know, throughout this uh, section so far, James has been peppering kind of subtly here and there in these first few verses. He's been peppering those verses with a vision of God, with a vision of who our God really is. 
that will help lead us to a place of patience and endurance and long-suffering, even for those of us who feel like we can't do it. And if you find yourself in that spot today, if you find yourself like wearied and fatigued and you just can't put one more foot in front of the other, take note of these things right here. First of all, God sees and he knows. God truly sees and he knows. James writes there toward the beginning that the Lord's return is near. God's return is near. And it might not be near in our understanding of what near is, but he wrote just a few verses earlier that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. Like that's a promise. Like God is close at hand. He, he sees the hardship you're going through. He, he knows the wickedness that you have to endure. It's not off of his radar. And he might not be moving right now like the way you want him to be moving, but that doesn't mean that he's absent or unaware. He sees and he knows, and he also writes that he's the judge and he's at the door. He will judge. Paul wrote, vengeance is mine. Peter, also writing to a bunch of people who were suffering, that's kind of like a common theme throughout the New Testament, and it's supposed to be true of believers through all time. Like, it's kind of our thing, all right? And he writes to them and he says this. He says, for what credit... For what credit is it if you sin and are mistreated and endured? And the answer to that rhetorical question is like no credit. There's no credit there. But then he says this, but if you do good and then suffer and then endure, this finds favor with God. Happy Sunday, everyone. Welcome to church. Like that's, that's, that's it. That's it. That's it right there. God sees what you're going through. And in the midst of what you're going through, don't grumble, don't complain, uh, don't, don't try to get even, but, but, but here, just be patient and wait. Your God sees and he, and he knows. And not only that, listen, God cares. God cares. He truly, at the, at the very end of this section, you might have missed it, James notes that God is full of compassion and mercy. Our God, in his very nature, is, is full of compassion and mercy. And that little phrase there is kind of like a throwback. It's an allusion to an Old Testament phrase that you find all throughout the Old Testament, um, Exodus 34, 6, Nehemiah 9, 17, Psalm 86, 15. Again, David writes this in the midst of his hardship. He says, but you, O Lord, are a compassionate and merciful God. You are patient. He is patient and demonstrate great loyal love and faithfulness. Our God cares about you. He is loyal to you. He is faithful to you. He not only sees and knows what you are going through, but he cares about it. And if it hurts you, it hurts him. If it breaks your heart, it breaks his heart too. He cares. He really does care. He cares. And listen, our God has been so compassionate and mercy. Hasn't God been so merciful to you? God has been so compassionate and merciful to you. There's so many times in my life that I can think where I have just made such big mistakes in my life. And when we talk about the mercy of God, what we're talking about when we talk about the mercy of God is not getting what we deserve. And how many of you have not gotten what you've deserved from God in your life? So many of us. I have time and time again, should we not act and live and behave in the same way as our Father in heaven? Compassionate and merciful, long-suffering, 
patient. This is who our God is. We worship a patient God who cares. And we should do the same. And so what, what James is trying to get at here as he wraps up this letter, as he, as he pushes us out to go and have a faith that works, is he's saying it's not going to be easy. There's gonna be hardship, there's gonna be suffering, but practice patience. Practice patience in the midst of that suffering. And that's not all though. Here's the good news. You want some good news? <laughs> want some good news? We're not left waiting in this passive, inactive state, okay? There is something that we can do. We see it in these last few verses that James writes here at the very end of his letter in verses 13 through 20. I'm gonna read through it. It's gonna be a a, a lot, but, but, but just follow along on the screen here, okay? Verse 13, James writes this. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone in good spirits? Well, then he should sing praises. Is anyone among you ill? He should summon the elders of the church and they should pray for him and anoint him with olive oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So confess your sins to one another and Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great effectiveness. Then we have this example of Elijah who was a human being. He was a prophet, but he was a human being just like us. And he did what? He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And there was no rain on the land for three years and six months. And then he prayed again. And the sky gave rain and the land spouted with a harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, he should know that the one who turns a sinner back from his wandering path will save that person's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And so if you're wondering, is there anything I can do? I can't grumble I can't complain, I can't get even, I need to be patient, but, but uh, that's good, but is there, is there anything else that I can do? Well, you, well, yes, friends, there is one thing. There's one thing you can do. You might not love the answer, <laughs> but here's what it is. You can pray. Amen. You can pray. We can prioritize prayer in all situations. In this final section in in James' letter, he uses the word pray or prayer or praying or something like it seven times, seven times in the end of this letter and for a variety of circumstances. And so James isn't just encouraging us to practice patience, he's encouraging us to prioritize prayer as well. Now just a few months ago in January, I'm not sure if you remember, uh, I taught a little bit on prayer. A spiritual practice that for so many of us we have neglected or thrown to the side. And maybe you've, maybe you've prayed a bit and you've just felt like it's so ineffective. And like you pick up the phone and you dial and call and it just seems like there's no one on the other end of the line. And so, so you've just given it up. You've chosen not to prioritize it even though here at the very end of James and throughout the New Testament, but especially here at the end of James, seven times. Like it's prioritized. It's prioritized, even though like in that teaching back in January, if we saw that Jesus valued and prioritized anything, it was prayer. It was time alone with his father. And just like the big idea at the very end of that teaching 
what was this? It was very simple. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things. That's what we talked about that Sunday. Even though it's something that we've oftentimes left to the side and neglected, prayer changes things. And I read this quote from Dallas Willard on prayer, and I want to read it again. And he writes this. He says, God does not pretend that he is answering our prayer when he is only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does regardless of whether we pray or not is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this. You wouldn't either. Guys, prayer changes things. Our requests really do make a difference. They really do. Just this other day, I was, I was talking to someone I just met here at our church, and she was, she was telling me a story about her life. And uh, she encountered some hardship at a young age. She was diagnosed uh, with Lyme's disease at like a really young age, and this was like a really hard thing for her throughout her teenage years, and she, she, she waited upon God. She, she practiced patience and, and waited, and, and you could tell as she shared this story, like, like the, the feeling of going through that trial, it was like still palpable for her. Her, her eyes were tearing up, and, and she was kind of like telling this story through, through like this, this veil of, of kind of remembered pain, and, and, and she, she talked about how she grew angry and, and frustrated, like why, like why would God allow this to happen to me? And then she waited, and she waited, and it's not like she never cried out to God. She prayed and, and waited, and, and, and she, she kind of suffered through this difficult season and that was until she was, was talking with a friend one time and this friend so happens to be her husband now and they're talking on the phone or something like that and, and he said to her like this, this like simple statement of faith. He said, as, as far as I understand the gospels, Jesus never turned away a person who wanted to be healed and in that moment, she was just prompted to, to kneel beside her bed and cry out to God again and ask her to heal, ask him to heal her. And in that moment, she tells this, this story, like she was living with her grandmother. Her grandmother walked in and, and, and there was just kind of like this, this like light, like this, this shimmering light. And in that moment, she like knew that like her God saw her. She knew that her God knew her struggle. She knew in that moment that, that God cared and in that moment, like, she was healed. It's, it's, been three, it's been three years since she's had any symptoms, any, anything. And listen, I don't share that story to like sensationalize it. I, I don't share that story to say that like our God is some kind of cosmic vending machine that you can just go to him with every single thing and on demand he will give that to you. But, but listen, James did say like a few verses earlier that maybe, maybe just maybe you have not because you ask not. And so, so as you've kind of agonized and wrestled and, and waited and you've been patient in your struggle, can I just ask you real quick, have you asked God to move? Have you asked him to move? Have you asked him to change things? Have you asked him for healing? Have you prioritized prayer? Have you prayed earnestly? We see that this is what Elijah does here. He prayed earnestly. 
James just, he gives us some really simple, straightforward stuff here at the end. And we just kind of have to take it at face value. He says, are any of you suffering? He says, pray. Pray. And then he says, are any of you doing well? Are you loving life? Are things going great? And he says, praise God. And not just like, praise God. Like, like you praise God. Like, lift up your voices and, and sing of his goodness and tell of his awesomeness. Like, praise God. And then he says, are any of you sick? Are any of you sick? And if so, like, like, like get the elders and, and gather them together and have them anoint you with oil. And I know it might sound like kind of weird. Like, what's up with the oil thing or the olive oil? Can you use canola oil? Like, what's the, what's the deal there? But, but, but I, I, it's, it's, it's what James says. It's what God's word says, like have them anoint you with oil and pray over you and seek your healing. Are any of you stuck in sin? Pray, pray. Those are the three big things I see here. Am I suffering? Am I sick? Am I in sin? Then, then pray. And, and so listen, that's, that's what we're gonna do here at the end. I, I don't know how else to respond to what God calls us to here at the end of James other than just try to be obedient to what he's gonna do. And so I'm gonna invite our elders, our staff, our prayer team to head to the back right now. And they're gonna be available for anyone who needs prayer. Anyone in this room who needs prayer, they're gonna be available for you. And so if you find yourself in a spot where you're like suffering and you're going through great hardship, I wanna encourage you to to, to take advantage of that and, and go pray. We, we, we weren't meant to carry the burdens that we carry in this life alone. Bring them to someone and have them seek God on your behalf and, and, and pray. Are, are you sick? Are, are you sick right now and, and you're, you're struggling through that? God's word says pray. We've got elders back there with oil, and again, I know that might be kind of like weird or freaky or woo-woo or something. Like, like it's, it's in the Bible, and, and we, wanna, we wanna be obedient to it, just like simply. And, and so I, I encourage you to go back there and, and seek an elder out, and they'll anoint you with oil, and, and they'll pray over you and, and seek for God's healing in your life. Listen, are you stuck in sin? Are you stuck in sin? James says, says to bring that before one another and confess your sin. And listen, not, to, not for shame, not, not for condemnation, but listen, sin thrives in darkness. Sin thrives in darkness. And when we bring it to light, there is such freedom and there is such relief there. And so would you take advantage even of this moment to go back there and just, just be like, I can't carry this anymore. I can't carry this weight, it's too hard, it's dictating all of my life, it's crippling me. I've lost freedom over this thing and I need freedom. Listen, you can find freedom in Jesus here. Go before him in prayer. We can carry this together. We can carry this together. And so in just a moment, I'd invite you as the band sings these next two songs, as we sing these next two songs, as we stand, to go back there and seek prayer this morning. Seek prayer. And if you don't find yourself in any of those three spots, if you're not sick, if you're not suffering, if you're not stuck in sin, whatever, good for you, right? <laughs> then praise God. Sing these next few songs. Would we sing of God's goodness? And in this moment, in this space right now, would we fill this room for those of us who aren't doing so well? 
And would we be reminded of God's goodness? Would we be reminded that God sees, that he knows, and that he cares? Would we encourage one another in this space? And so go ahead and stand with me right now. I'm gonna pray and then invite those who need prayer to head to the back and we're gonna sing. Father, we just come before you right now and we thank you for the clarity of your word. God, I pray for anyone in this room that, that really is in one of those three difficult spots that just needs prayer. And God, I pray that you would just give them the boldness to seek that out this morning. Lord, so many of us are going through hardship. Many of us are sick. Many of us are stuck in sin that we have not told a single person. Lord, would there be healing here this morning? Would there be, be freedom, God? God, would you show up in this place? Would we see your glory? And would we be able to tell others about what you've done here, God? We trust that you're moving and that you're working, Lord God. We open our hands to you and we just invite you to work in this space right now, Lord. Be among us, draw near to us in this place, God, we pray.